I don't know that anyone outside of our office high up the flagpole is reading powder or is even a skier. This is a business deal. And we were part of a big move that they made to kind of get into the more action enthusiast space. As far as, you know, resources and support of a publisher that knows powder, I don't think that has been the case for a really, really long time, unfortunately. Welcome to the storm. I'm your host, Stuart Winchester. Powder Magazine is currently in hiatus. What happened? Will it be back? What does the future of ski media look like? We will get some insight into all of those things today. But first, a reminder, please subscribe to the free storm skiing newsletter at skiing.substack.com. What you're listening to on the podcast is a very small part of the storm. The newsletter has a ton of editorial content every week, including analysis of what's happening around the Northeast. Social media is another big part of it. Follow the storm on Twitter at Storm Ski Journal and on Facebook at the Storm Skiing Journal. The Storm Skiing Podcast is brought to you in part by Mountain Gazette. Founded in 1966, Mountain Gazette is a biannual, large format print title celebrating mountain culture. Head over to mountaingazette.com and enter code GOHIRE10 for 10% off subscriptions. Use code EASTCOAST, all one word, for 10% off everything else, including vintage magazine covers, which make great art for your home office or living room. I got the first issue earlier this month and it's incredible. This is more of a work of art than a magazine. The thing is huge, first of all. The quality of the writing is unreal. Huge, amazing photos. This is not like anything else in snow sports media. It is very deep, incredibly varied, incredibly well conceived. Grab your subscription today over at mountaingazette.com and you will get a PDF of that first issue as the crew works on issue 195, which is due out this spring. Mountain Gazette. When in doubt, go higher. Episode 33, Sierra Schaefer, Editor-in-Chief of Powder Magazine. When did you start reading Powder? And I know you read it. If you're listening to this podcast, I know you have a dog-eared back issue somewhere in your house. For me, I was a teenager in the Midwest, skiing sub-500-foot bumps and loving it. Loving skiing sub-500-foot bumps, but... Powder opened a world beyond these overgroomed local hills. It showed me a world where skiing was this dynamic and ever-evolving and enormously imaginative thing. The magazine helped define the sport for me and for many, many others. And I have 25 years worth of back issues sitting on the bookshelf beside me that are always right here when I'm working on the storm. But it's a rough time to be in print media. That's no secret. We already lost Skiing Magazine a few years ago. No one in the ski media has quite figured out the right balance of digital, social, and print. Still, it was shocking to lose powder. We'd already watched it go from seven issues a year to six to four to two. But to warehouse the thing altogether was completely unexpected. But it's not dead yet. Done for the season? Yes. On indefinite furlough? Yes. But the owners, A360 Media, are not selling, and there is a very large population of very rabid skiers that want this thing back as soon as possible. I can't give you any insight into whether or when that will actually happen, 
but I can give you the full story behind A360 Media's 10 years owners, why they made the decisions they did, and where we're at right now. Well, actually, Sierra can give you all of that. So let's hear it. My guest today is the editor-in-chief of Powder Magazine, founded by David and Jake Moe in Sun Valley, Idaho in 1972. Powder celebrated the culture of skiing for 49 years before printing what may have been its final issue last month. She has worked for the magazine for nearly six years. Sierra Schaefer is my guest. Sierra, thank you so much for joining us today. Hi, Stuart. Thanks for having me. First of all, Sierra, it's been a wild year for all of us with COVID and for you in particular, guiding powder to what may have been its final issue. Uh, How are you holding up amid all this? You know what? I have felt so much um, support uh, just from the rest of my staff. Um, I think we've all felt felt support from the ski industry, you know, the brands we work with, the writers, the photographers, um, even the readers. Everyone's been so awesome just in kind of cheerleading for the success of the magazine this year. And um, so I feel very uplifted by that. Um, and I have now been, you know, on furlough for a few weeks. So I feel a little bit more clear minded than maybe I would have a month ago. Uh, I'd say this year collectively, yeah, it's been it's been rough. Um, it's been hard on all of us professionally and personally. Um, and I would say most of the time I've just felt very tired. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully you'll get a little bit of rest here. Um, and at least we have some snow falling finally to give you a distraction. Yeah. Uh, I do want to get into the furlough a little later. But, but first, I want to go back to the acquisition by American Media in February of last year. And I have to admit, when, when I looked that up, I was like, oh, my God, that was last year. That that, that feels like it was five years ago. Um, but but how, how did you find out that Powder had new owners going back to that time? And, and how did you react to that news? Yeah. So, I mean, it's pretty typical for magazines like ours and any kind of media group to fall under the umbrella of kind of a corporate ownership. Um, there's a few magazines out there that are privately owned. Um, with kind of one person calling the shots. But so it's not super surprising when a media sale happens. Um, you know, our group since the foundation in 1972, like with when Powder started in Sun Valley, I mean, shortly after it was sold, only two or three years after. Mm. Um, so it has gone through many iterations of ownership. Um, we knew for a while coming up onto this one that the magazine and the other magazines in our group in our office were for sale and they were looking for a buyer, you know, and it didn't really affect too much of my day to day. It's kind of happening at a, you know, a level or whatever, a table that I don't really sit at. Um, but eventually um, they did announce to our group um, that there was a new owner. Um, and with that came a lot of changes. Some other magazines at the time were closed down or paused. Um, others were combined. Others went purely digital. Um, but at that time, Powder was fortunate to remain as it was. So, yes, there was maybe some new software. And I think our email addresses changed. And, you know, there was we were communicating with different people about uh, getting invoices paid. But as far as what Powder was doing... Um, and what was consumer facing, reader facing, um, not much changed. So as you mentioned, there have been a lot of ownership changes over the years. And I saw a few people, you know, trace the chain back and, and, and it's been a lot. 
so was there concern when that happened that this time was different? Or like you said, had there been so many ownership changes that the team just kind of rolled with it and said, okay, here we go again. Let's just do this, do what we always do, put out a great magazine. Right. Um, of course, there's always concern. Change is hard, even you know if it's positive change or negative change. Like Always it is challenging to um, change direction or work with the new processes. Um, we lost some members of our staff who were laid off in that, and that was kind of the biggest hit. Um, one that we were just down in numbers on what already felt like a really small staff. Um, and then we lost the editor at large at the time, Matt Hansen, who'd been with the magazine for over 10 years. Um, I'd say probably as much as anyone, very much the voice of powder. Um, and so losing him on a day-to-day basis, um, granted, we did get to keep him on as our features editor, kind of on a contract basis, but not having Matt to work with every day was just a blow to the morale and um, and I think to the final product. But yeah, that's like you said, it's like, okay, well, <laughs> it's out of our control. We got to just keep going, you know, and the magazine or the brand is, is bigger than any one of us or any staff or um, even any ownership. And all you can really do is just keep doing your job. So new owner comes in, you know, there's going to be some changes if I'm reading the masthead correctly, you were managing editor when they came in and correct me if I'm wrong on that. Uh, and they soon promoted you to editor in chief. Take us through those first few weeks, Sierra, as you got to know the new owners and they determined who was going to be in charge of what. Sure. Um, we had gone through some staffing changes a year before and had kind of created a really awesome team. Like I said, Matt was part of it. Um, John Stifter um, was working there. And then obviously, Dave Reddick, who's been with the magazine longer than anyone, um, almost 30 years as our director of photography. Um, So we had kind of gotten to this awesome spot of like this really tight knit editorial team. It was so, (laughs) it was so shoestring, but we were so passionate and had so much fun. And it was, it was a total grind, but we had kind of solidified our team so then for that to change kind of right after we got to that point was a huge blow. But yeah, I did become the editor-in-chief shortly after that um, that new ownership came in. And it was difficult because um, that came as a result of uh, losing that. So this is someone that I care about deeply as a friend um, and also professionally um, and in Thankfully, you know, Matt was extremely gracious and knew it wasn't personal and that, you know, someone had to take over. So it was just kind of switching gears and relying on my staff and and our contributors to um, just carry on. Um, I got a lot of support and people were really, really awesome about reaching out and offering their support and help and just excitement there aren't a lot of women in this space and there certainly have been some incredible ones. There still are powders had women as editors, you know, on staff um, for a long time, but this was kind of new for powder to have someone in that EIC seat. Um, And so I just felt a sense of responsibility and pretty enthusiastic to have the opportunity. Congratulations on that. That was an important milestone getting a woman editor in chief at powder magazine. In that moment, Sierra, when you got the top job at Powder, 
how are you feeling about the future of magazines and in particular the future of magazines under American media? Were, were you optimistic that you had the support of a publisher who A, understood what powder was and what it meant to its readers and B, would give you the resources you needed to put out a quality product? Well, um, to be frank, I don't think we actually did have either of those things. <laughs> um, I, you know, I need to be careful with what I say, but I don't know that um, anyone, you know, outside of our office high up the flagpole um, is reading powder or is even a skier. You know, um, this is a business deal and we were part of um, like a big move that they made to kind of get into the more action enthusiast space as far as you know, resources and support of a publisher that knows powder. I don't think that has been the case for a really, really long time, unfortunately. Um, however, I am hopelessly optimistic <laughs> at all times, um, sometimes to a fault. I'm sure, um, I'm sure some of the people I work with would <laughs> attest to that. Um, you know, but it's the people I work with and the readers. It's like that is so much more motivating than any ownership or budget or resource program or whatever you want to say um it's the readers and it's the ski community that keep me and our staff optimistic so it sounds like regardless of the support that you felt you did or didn't have from the owners you had a great very deeply experienced deeply caring team around you who was prepared to put out a top-notch product so you get the top job and you're editor-in-chief, and, and so you have to formulate a vision for this thing, right? So I'd imagine you kind of have two complementary but competing priorities from a content point of view. One is to honor the legacy of the magazine, and the other is to evolve it to the current state of the world. Can you talk, first of all, how you viewed the legacy of Powder and how you sought to carry that on? Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's a really good way to put it. That is kind of the balance is honoring you know, the legacy in the past and also not getting stuck there, right? And moving forward. So um, I came into working at Powder as a reader of Powder. Um, and I've always kind of seen this magazine as, you know, honest, irreverent, humorous, at times maybe a little bit serious. We've definitely, you know, faced critiques of being like a little too serious at times over the years but also you know there's so much life and um, levity and just like true culture I think and also a, a really strong legacy of you know telling the essential stories like what is essential to skiing and you know that's definitely a buzzword right now in the middle of this pandemic we've used that word a lot but that's always kind of been a theme that we have talked about among our staff at Powders, like what is essential and how do we lean into that? So that's kind of how I looked at it in terms of the legacy. It's a tremendous legacy. There's no doubt about it, uh, but everything needs to change with the times. So how did you approach this? How did Powder need to evolve from your point of view? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, more women. I mean, that's pretty much, um, and sure, it's easy to, you know, chalk that up to like, oh, being the female editor. But that was a goal that was there under the leadership of, you know, the past, at least all the editors I worked under. So um, that wasn't just me coming in 
waving that, you know, torch around. But um, it was something that I did feel was really important to um, increase the volume of women that are represented in the magazine, in photography, um, in bylines, in, you know, subjects. It's not just, are we telling stories about women, but are we letting women write them and photograph them and, and that kind of thing. And then along those lines too, trying desperately all the time to help identify, you know, diverse populations of skiers, um, which frankly is, is challenging because it's just not the case. And that's changing um, very slowly. And I want to acknowledge that and celebrate that and elevate those stories. Um, but I think you also have to do it in a really authentic way. And that's part of honoring the legacy. And as you tried to include more women as talent in the photos, as, as photographers, as writers, did you find it hard to identify those people just because the cultural expectation wasn't there, that these were things that they could do and and you had a, and you were in the process of normalizing that? Was that hard? Um, I think the challenge comes with, Oh, that's tricky. Um, no, it's not hard because these women are out there. They're all over the place and they're killing it. And um, the challenge is, you know, getting out of our own way and kind of maybe shifting our perspective of what belongs in powder um, to make room for it. You know, it exists. It's not a struggle to go find talented women, writers, photographers, skiers. That's easy, you know. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I could name yeah. 50 right now right. Um, that I've skied with in the last year. So the challenge, I think, was just, like I said, doing it in an authentic way. You know, if all of a sudden it's just like there are a lot of ways that people do this and where it's like, here's a list of the top 10 women in skiing or here's the women's this or here's this women's category. And my goal was kind of always to incorporate it just into the natural fabric. Um, because that is the way that we all experience the world, right? It's not like you get to the resort and you get in the women's line to get on the lift, you know, (laughs) you just go skiing. So um, that was kind of how I wanted our coverage to be. And let's talk about these patrollers or these athletes or these directors as just what they are, not as the female version of it. Yeah, as a reader, it was noticeable and it was great to see the evolution come to life. Were you happy with where you got to? Yeah, I think we made a lot of good progress. And like I said, that began even before, you know, I was in this role. Um, but there's so much more work to do. And it sucks now <laughs> that we're in the position we are because it was like, okay, we're getting some momentum. Like the outdoor space is kind of opening its eyes to the fact that this has been a very like straight white male dominated space for so long. Um, And I think that's wearing really thin for a lot of people. And there's finally some momentum to consciously change that. Um, So to not have a platform right now to help celebrate that change and, and give that platform to those different voices, um, I think is just a big loss for skiing. It takes time, right? And it's it's a deliberate process. Absolutely. And you were only in your second full year as editor-in-chief. I'm curious, when you landed the editor-in-chief job, how deep into planning for the 2019 to 20 
issues was the team at Powder? Had that started yet, or did you have a blank slate to work with? Yeah, it it had started. We typically start to plan for the you know upcoming winter and the following volume every December. So normally this week, actually, we would all be gathered as a staff somewhere. We try to get out of the office, you know, go skiing somewhere, but then you know, spend a lot of late nights going through pitches and spreadsheets, you know, drawing all over whiteboards to figure out like, what do we want the next volume of powder to include and look like? So that had already happened. Um, I came on as editor, was kind of acting in the role, like interim, um, just by default in the early season. But I think it was like by March or so that I was officially in that role. So we were pretty deep in it. You know, people had been out on assignments and everything. But fortunately, I had been part of that whole process because it is very collaborative. So we were in it, but I had, you know, been there along the way. So I'm curious, Sierra, how you approach social media. I mean, powder really is best consumed on paper where the photos can pop and you can linger over the stories. Uh, But the reality is we live in a social and digital world. Former editor, uh, powder editor Steve Casimiro wrote an adventure journal that running a magazine in the digital age was like owning a restaurant where you had to stand out front giving away free samples all day. Um, <laughs> how did you approach the balance of putting out a quality paper product while also building out powder social presence? So interestingly, when I started at powder, which was like almost six years ago, I was helping to manage the daily, you know, social pushes of our content And I had a whiteboard at my desk and I would by hand every morning write down the like four Instagram posts or Facebook posts. I think it was one Instagram post a day and four Facebook posts. Um, And I would just hand write them down and be like, cool, everyone good with this? (laughs) And it was wild to see in such a short time how archaic and just, you know, stone age that seems now. Because yes, those have the the internet and social media have all become tools for um, reaching new members of the community and and getting the really great stuff that you see in the magazine, like getting that to more people. Um, And that's kind of how I looked at it. We had the largest social media following across all platforms um, of any, you know, ski media to date, including like TGR or, you know, any of the other strictly ski magazines and so it was like okay well how do we convert these people into not just followers but like truly part of the powder family and maybe 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 two of them will subscribe to you know the print product Um, but I think the reason that our social media was so expansive and um incredible I hope um is because it was a reflection of, you know, the heart and soul of the brand, which is the magazine. So yes, there is tons of content created specifically for socials or specifically for the website that are unique to those platforms. But often we were also reproducing versions of the print product or promoting the print product on those channels um, and kind of just trying to knit all those pieces together. Um, to make this one fabric of what powder is. So I think, you know, they're not innately bad, you know. Um, well, maybe Facebook is. But <laughs> but these, you know, when they originally came out and what 
you know, what you can do with them. There are things you can do on digital, you know, some of the digital features we've produced or films or, you know, interactive contests. Like there's things you can do there that you can't do in print. There's timely news you can cover that you can't in print. So it's all about figuring out what story is best told where, but having a consistent voice and adhering to the same, you know, morals or guiding principles that the brand always has, no matter what platform you're using. So you have a lot more places to say what you want to say than ever before. But one of the biggest changes that American media made is that they immediately cut the issue count from six to four. How did that reduction in the number of issues change the team's approach if it did? Well, you know, I talked about that conversation we're always having about what is essential. You know, we had to double down on that. Suddenly you have, you know, half the pages that you're used to having. And that's, like I said, these changes came in the middle of kind of our production season, like the winter season. We're working on everything that's going to come out the following fall, right? So, you know, we'd already made us, we'd already made our assignments. And, you know, let's say we're pulling in 10 features. Well, now we have room for six, you know? Um, So it's like, what do we cut or what do we rework? What do we run on the website maybe instead? What do we save for next year? How small can we shrink the print to fit more stuff in there? You know, Um, all these different conversations. So we just had to make a lot of really hard decisions um, to, to make it work. And it was brutal, not just for us, but for the contributors as well. But I'm super proud of what we were able to create and, um, you know, the first issue came out that first year was like 168 pages or something, um, which is a really healthy book. And that's to the credit, you know, of Kevin Back, our sales director and his relentless hustle. <laughs> <laughs> so they gave you fewer issues. Did they give you a reason why they were cutting the number of issues from six to four? That's a huge cut. Yeah. Um, well, and this year we only had two. So right, yeah. <laughs> um, here we go. But yeah. I mean, I think it's cost, uh, you know, what it what it costs to put one out. I mean, granted, yeah, you're also sacrificing the revenue that would have come in from that. Um, I think there was probably an argument made, too, that maybe that would, you know, I think they said something about it, like freeing up the staff to work on a more diverse offering of projects, which I think is BS. But <laughs> Did it affect yeah. morale when they cut the number of issues? Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, we fought it for as long as we could, too, um, and ultimately had to accept that. But again, it's one of those things where it's like, you just got to know like what to fight for, but then also for how long. And there comes a certain point where your energy is better used making the most of a situation you maybe don't like than just beating your head against the wall trying to change it when it's not going to. And knowing, you know, when to say when is a, is hard. Um, that's a tough decision to make. But like I said, luckily, you know, we operate pretty collectively as a group. Um, and so I'm, I'm grateful to have current staff, but also former staff and former editors and writers and friends um, help to, you know, shape that and contribute to contribute their insights to our processes. 
So the reduction in the number of issues was a pretty obvious thing, and that's something any of us on the outside could see. Were there other places that American media cut that maybe we couldn't see? Like, were you having to work with fewer resources dollar-wise, staff-wise? Staff-wise, yes. Um, Dollar-wise, you know, that's kind of depending on how you look at it. Um, But we actually had a pretty, pretty decent budget, and I feel like powder actually pays pretty well comparatively to the space. Staff-wise, yes. I think people are always shocked, you know, when readers write in or we do like little behind-the-scenes things on social media. They're like, wait, there's four of you? Or, you know, when I started, there was 12 of us. And now there is, you know, four and a half, three and a half, you know, depending how you look at it. Because we have we have to share our art director and, you know, that kind of stuff. So, <clears throat> yeah, I think behind-the-scenes, it's like it's – something a lot of us are probably familiar with this year in the business world of do more with less, you know? (laughs) And then you forget that you ever only had one responsibility, you know, (laughs) it's just like, (laughs) it's moving so fast and you're like, Oh my God, remember when I was only in charge of this or like, you know, that example I gave, remember when I only wrote the Facebook post down on a whiteboard (laughs) instead of had, you know, a six tab Excel spreadsheet, (laughs) (laughs) and you know three interns working on it and I mean that was another thing too because of the California labor laws we did lose our internship program and our fellowship program which was pretty heartbreaking to me um you know a lot of our senior contributors or um just some of the most engaged most talented contributors that we still have and most past editors came up through the internship program it was kind of our farm team. And so to lose that um, because there was no longer budget to pay them um, was such a bummer because they added so much, not just in like labor, but another perspective and a creative um, creative addition to the team. So that was tough. So you're working with less and, and this it's, it's easy to forget, but this was all pre-COVID, that first yeah. whole year when you read it in chief, right? Were there signs through that year behind the scenes that American media was losing interest in powder or that they were considering shuttering it? Did you ever get any vibes of that kind? Pre-COVID? Um, not really. I mean, it's just like I said, that kind of stuff is so far removed from the day to day. And there's so much on our plate to get done that it's like, I just don't have time or energy to like look up and look around at that kind of speculation because it's so, it's so um, disheartening to consider that it's just like, Oh, you hear this rumor or that, or, you know, Oh, we went down a couple issues. I wonder if they're going to close us kind of thing. Um, If you focus on that, you just, you'll fail. You won't get anything done. And, you know, it's kind of like, well, for now we're still here. So let's keep going. Um, So, yeah, I think, you know, there's always that fear as far as them losing interest. I mean, yes, they bought us, but I'm not sure how interested they ever really were, except for, you know, like I said, it's a business decision. Um, So they're looking at numbers, not necessarily, you know, quantity or the spirit of things or whatever, staff morale or they're pretty, the decision makers are pretty far removed from that. 
And how were the business numbers? How was Powder holding up on things like subscriptions, uh, advertising revenue? Were, were those things holding steady? Uh, subscriptions, yes. Um, and, you know, in fact, we increased our female subscriber base by, I think, 6% oh, nice. um, in the past two years, which is great. Um, you know, obviously, COVID is a very real challenge. Um, a lot of, you know, budgets were frozen for a long time from our advertisers. Um, so regardless of their desire to work with us, they just didn't have um, didn't have that choice. So, yeah, I mean, I think we were, I know we were off on, you know, projected revenue numbers, but we also didn't project a global pandemic. So um, I think we were fortunate to have really solid support regardless and fortunate to create a product that is desirable to advertisers and everyone who's kind of core in the industry and a lot of new people too know the value of, of getting in front of people who read powder. So pandemic is problematic, but <laughs> the, um, the desire to participate, not that you can pay the bills with that. Um, I think was still really strong, which I'm, I'm very, very grateful for. So I want to move on to year two or, or the second season, uh, starting with the Black Lives Matter protests that broke out across the nation. When that happened, Powder put out several pieces of content supporting the movement. Talk about your editorial decisions there, Sierra, around uh, putting together those posts to support that. Yeah, that was um, a really, I think, unique situation for for Powder to be in and the other magazines as well, you know, um, in our group every week, I'm meeting with the editor of Surfer and Bike and Transworld Skate and, you know, all these other um, action sports titles. And um, with the exception of maybe Snowboarder and Skate are, are pretty homogeneous populations. And so um, that when, you know, the Black Lives Matter protests started coming out, it was like, look, this applies to our space, you know? Um, and it's this kind of fine line that Powder has always danced of like, people go skiing to escape and they read Powder to escape. Um, and I understand that, but there are issues facing, you know, our country, our world, you know, with everything from racial justice to climate change that it's like we can't escape this and if you want this sport and this this vehicle to escape from we can't ignore the challenges that we're up against and i you know we've dealt with this somewhat in our coverage of climate change for years um but with the black lives matter movement that to me felt significantly I don't know. I don't want to say more pressing, but you know, these are lives in the balance. Um, and these are people who don't have the opportunity to escape because it's, it's their daily life. So it's kind of a no brainer that we were going to speak up during that time, how we did that, how we maintained true to powder's identity and voice and how we took an honest look at ourselves and, you know, and how we've been complicit in maintaining the status quo. Um, that was kind of where the challenge came in, but 
I think I always knew we were going to participate in the dialogue surrounding that issue. And what was the reaction to the content that you put out in support of that, Sierra? Was it mostly supportive? Um, it's kind of difficult to say because I think privately a lot of people reached out and were supportive. And then, of course, if you go and look, you know, on certain social media posts, there's people who are kind of the, you know, shut up and dribble crowd, the stick to skiing, I don't come here for this. And it always seems like the negative stuff rises to the top, right? But I think I always have to remind myself, especially working in the digital and social space, that like, these are, this is a small vocal minority, you know, they're Mm -hmm. very loud, and they're angry about whatever we do but they don't speak for the majority um, of skiers. But I'll be honest. I mean, there were some really disheartening comments and I was just like, not deterred to continue. It just, it just proved our point more, you know, that we need to engage in this conversation and for people to, you know, kind of aggressively say, well, I don't care if you're gay or black or whatever, let's just go skiing. And it's like, okay, well, that's not exactly, (laughs) they think they're being like, non-problematic but in ignoring a very real issue for some of these people it's not inviting and it's exclusive so I think it just stoked the fire more that like there's work to be done here yeah and and it was clear that you were working that mission into the issues this season and and trying to showcase more diverse skiers Uh, but when I got that first issue in in August or September I open it up and, and I think that's the first time I ever laughed out loud at a ski magazine cover. There's a naked <laughs> guy just bombing through the trees. <laughs> I thought that was great. Take Thank us you. through the process of selecting that photo. Oh man. Um, <laughs> like this is the stuff I miss so much of being in the office, you know, of like sitting around and looking at photos printed out all over the floor and, Um, so typically, you know, those photos come in throughout the entire season. Um, Dave Reddick, who I said is our longstanding director of photography, he's kind of flagging stuff, collecting it, moving stuff into folders that like could be potential covers. And then, you know, a couple weeks into the production of, you know, said issue, it kind of becomes time to be like, okay, let's look at covers. You know, the issue is starting to take place, take space or sorry, take shape. Uh, and we, and we start to identify maybe there's like a theme or a feeling or it's just like this weird juju magic that starts to happen where it's like, okay, it's time to look at the covers and, and Dave will, you know, pre COVID would print them all out. We hang them on the wall. You know, the art director might put the logo on a couple just so you can kind of get the idea of how it would work. And then we'd all go into the room or in this case, onto the Zoom meeting. Mm-hmm. And, you know, no one kind of wants to be the first person to say what they like or don't like. But it starts to kind of like creep out like, oh, I like number two. Oh, me too, me too, me too. Okay, well, I like number four. <laughs> and so we looked at a really wide variety of options this year. Probably, I think, the biggest range that I could remember looking at for covers. And, you know, the first one of the year is always a big deal, right? Because I think to me, it's always marked, the first issue of powder always marks the beginning of ski season. And you want to get people psyched. Um, It's our buyer's guide, which is huge. And it's full of all this gear and 
features and um, you're just kind of, there's a feeling that you're going for. Um, and that's, you know, over the years looked a million different ways, but you know, we talked about it. It's like, man, the world is really heavy right now with the pandemic, with the Black Lives Matter movement. It's an election year. I mean, it's just like, there's so much weight that we're all carrying around. And there's two ways to respond to that, you know, um, acknowledge that and kind of sit in it. And there was a really great Sports Illustrated cover that did that this year, where they had the, um, the cover was like the empty stadium seats. Mm-hmm. And it was like, you know, it was acknowledging the moment that we're in. Mm-hmm. And that's really powerful. But I kind of started to get this feeling that people just needed a release and kind of a, a lightness, at least that's how I was feeling. And I was thinking about the times that like skiing has given me that. And I was like, that's what I want to feel right now. Like, I know it's heavy out there. I don't want to pick up my favorite magazine and be, you know, be reminded of that. It goes back to that escapism thing. So I, you know, kind of pushing Dave to to pull some options that kind of went that direction. And we had a different frame from that shoot actually at first that we were looking at. And I was like, oh, that's hilarious. Um, and so fun and so powder. It felt so old school and just kind of that irreverence we always talk about um, of not taking, you know, it's just skiing. Like, <laughs> That's what I want to be doing right now is just like hollering to my friends, you know, going crazy in the woods on a powder day. And we ended up going back to the photographer, Guy Fatal, and getting, you know, a couple more frames. Um, Thankfully, he had selected all the family-friendly ones, you know. (laughs) And so we didn't have to do the hard work of looking through, um, you know, 200 frames. He simply, you know, the selections. But um as soon as I saw that shot, I was like, I want to see it with the logo. I want to see it as a cover. And then, you know, we kind of, we were split on it as a staff, I'll be honest. And I really pushed for it, but we were definitely split. Um, and then it came down to also, you know, the covers do have to be approved, hmm. you know, by CEOs and presidents and VPs and all that stuff. And it's usually a pretty no brainer process. You know, you send an email, here's the cover. Okay, good, good to go. Um, but there was some concern that this one would not be approved because of the nature of it. So we, at the last minute, did have a backup cover also, just okay. in case. But yeah, it went over without a hitch. And I think, you know, the people approving them, like, you know, they're approving covers that are going to be on newsstands and they want to make money and sell magazines. And, you know, everyone knows sex sells, so... <laughs> I think they, you know, didn't think twice about it um, based on the speed of the response. So we uh, pulled it off and the reaction was exactly what I was hoping to be. I knew people were either going to love it and be fired up or they were going to hate it, you know. And of course, a few people did, mostly crotchety old men. But um, <laughs> but for the most part, it was really positive And it just kind of created this like buzz and sense of you know, joy and excitement. And, you know, there's so much unknown even still about this season, but especially then it was like, man, that is what I need to go do. Cause I'm losing it here, you know, in my house or my apartment or on my computer. I just kind of want to like be free and let loose. So well, it worked. For that. <laughs> it worked. You got a big laugh out of me, but Sierra, you, you got to tell us the story behind that photo. Why is Connery London skiing naked through the trees? 
you know, I think at the time he was single and most likely was just looking to create some content for his Tinder or, um, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, I've known Connery a long time and he's a good friend of mine and just, um, I think that's just reflective of his kind of spirit. They were up on a shoe, I think, for Spider up at the lodge. And I think it was just kind of like, you know, a funny addition to the end of the day. Like, hey, I'm just going to, you know, take a naked lap. But ironically, he has been photographed and filmed skiing naked quite a bit. So (laughs) I'm starting to, like, wonder if this is kind of something he does more than we realize. And and now we're just getting the photo evidence, but um, <laughs> yeah, he had a, a naked backflip in a Warren Miller film two years ago, I think. So well, he's got it in film, and he's got the cover of Powder. So yeah, maybe it's time to move on, man. <laughs> <laughs> time to get a new stick. Yeah. But, um, so, yeah. So for the last several years, each issue of Powder had a little proverb of sorts on the spine. Uh, the one in the first issue of this season said, "We've still got issues." Was that <laughs> that you knew the bad news was coming? It was not, um, actually. <laughs> okay. We were feeling at that time. So, yeah, we always kind of, you know, come up with a, a joke or something, like you said, a proverb or whatever for the spine. Um, and it's always kind of like it's a little inside baseball. Um, mm-hmm. And there's like, you know, every every time there's only a few people that might get it. But it's just kind of this fun thing we do. And um we were kind of feeling going into this season, you know, um, one, because of COVID and two, just the nature of the industry that like people were wondering if we were going to, if we were going to be around, you know, is powder still happening? Like are any of the ski magazines still happening? Is skiing still happening? Um, and it was just kind of our way to say like, we're still here, you know, we're still in print. Um, we still have issues of the magazine. (laughs) being produced but then also kind of the double meeting there of like oh my god there's a lot of issues (laughs) to figure out and to sort through and you know and we all kind of joke among our staff like you know we try not to have our individual breakdowns on the same day you Mm -hmm. know we try to space it out like well I'm gonna freak out tomorrow so if you could freak out on (laughs) next week that would be great you know and kind of working through our own issues that way but um yeah, it was just we it was not a clue. We didn't know as soon as we knew, we pretty immediately, I'd say within, you know, a day or two, um communicated what we knew to our readers and to the public. So it was just a happy or sad coincidence, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so when did you learn that American media intended to shut down powder and and why did they what was the reason they gave you? It was the first week of October. And it started with, you know, there were two meetings that happened that day. It was on a Friday afternoon and titles like surfer and bike um, and and some other support staff. Um, they were all in a meeting, I think, at four where they were told they would all be immediately furloughed. Mm. Um, and that day was their last day. Um, and then the rest of us were in a meeting at 430 where we were, were told, hey, everybody else just got furloughed you will all be furloughed next month. Um, And um, so it was pretty shocking. You know, it kind of came out of, not left field, but (laughs) it was, um, it was just a shock, whether it was a surprise or not, I'm not sure, but um, that's how it 
kind of was delivered. And did they blame COVID? Did they say it was more complicated than that? What was the reason they gave you? The party line was the, um, was the effects of COVID. Um, and you know, the reality is like, because we're owned by this larger corporation who, whose major cash flow comes through the newsstand sales of magazines, you know, like Us Weekly and like tabloid magazines, right? That are sitting in, you know, at checkout stands and in airports. And so the, that is very real um, that, you know, stay at home orders and the lack of travel, I'm sure, um, was a big hit to the bottom line in terms of their financial income, um, and ability to, you know, pay the bills and pay payroll for, for the rest of us. So that is what, yeah, that was, you know, whether it was COVID or COVID was the final nail on the coffin of some other, you know, financial situations or business decisions. Um, I can't really say, I just don't know. So like you said, you had probably been planning these issues since last December, all of a sudden you're put in this spot where you already have one issue out and you have to plan the final issue. So let's talk about that. And I want to start with the cover. Take us into the process of choosing and creating that cover image, which which is a mirror of the very first Mm -hmm. issue from 1972 or three. I see different things. Yeah. Um, (laughs) It's because of the way we do like winters, you know, like this is the 2021 season. So Um, yeah. So Interesting that you want to start with the cover because typically the cover always comes last. Um, but this original image by Nick Allegra was one that we had had kind of in the mix as a potential cover all along. So it was one we had looked at and, you know, then the added pressure comes in that like, okay, this could be the last cover of powder. And so how do we, <laughs> how do you make that decision? You know, is it the classic, you know, blower powder shot? Is it something dark and sinister? You know, there's so many things to consider. Um, but Dave was really strong in his conviction on on that photo. Um, and then we kind of started to brainstorm how we could design it. You know, did we want to go back to an old font? Or, you know, the cool part about being the editor of a magazine is like there's within the creative space, there's no rules, you know, mm-hmm. we can do whatever we want. And so we had this opportunity to say like, well, how do we want to bookend, you know, powders run. Um, and, and we started to talk about the first issue and, and what two issues like that side by side, the first and the last would look like. And it was really Dave who kind of started to present the idea of superimposing the planets, the earth and the moon. Or I guess it's the yeah the Earth and like another planet um, into the background of this shot in reflection of the first cover uh, of the first issue, which is made to look like people are skiing on the moon. So it was pretty like powerful when we saw kind of the first iterations of that um, from their art director Robbie, and when that started to come together, it was just like, yep, that's it, you know. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, and making sure it would print right and that it would be subtle enough, but um, but still noticeable. And um, it was a pretty, I would say, like moving process. Yeah, it's a, it's a beautiful cover, no question. Thank you. Was, was there any hesitation with 
mirroring the first issue in case this isn't the last issue? Um, yeah, that was tricky because, you know, from an official standpoint, um, you know, powder is not closed. We are paused indefinitely, (laughs) which is, um, is tough because there's no closure there. There's no, you know, um, anyway, and kind of, you know, reflected in that moment on the cover, you know, he's kind of floating in midair and just kind of that hang time moment is kind of how I think we all feel. But like I said in the intro and like we addressed in many other moments in that issue, um, we just, we were really honest and straightforward. Like, this is what we're being told. This is what we know. And with that information, this is what we're giving you, you know? Um, And it was, it was really challenging because yeah, we, you know, of course we hope things might change. Um, I'm not, you know, hopeful that they will at this point, but we were in a unique situation because we were only two weeks out from an issue that we just assumed would be the last of the season and we'd go on to make the next volume and yada yada um, when we got this news and it was like, well, okay, if this is going to be the last, what what do we want to say? And we basically <laughs> reworked the entire magazine wow. you know, that had been a, a close to a year in the making in two weeks um, in addition to you know a million other day-to-day processes so it's pretty hairy there and you know I was kind of at times envious of bike and surfer who had just put out an issue and then it was like they just ripped off the band-aid and said no more (laughs) which is brutal Mm -hmm. um, because they didn't get to you know close up shop and say their you know official goodbye in any way but the weight of creating the last issue I think for our staff was was pretty heavy is is that all you had planned for this year was two issues that was your initial yep. plan yeah they had cut cut that um oh wow earlier this year mm-hmm. so getting into the issue itself you included several pages of testimonials from former and current writers editors skiers fans I, i'm sure we saw a sliver of it how many yeah. submissions like that did you receive and and how did you go about winnowing them down to the ones that you actually included and you included yeah. a lot but but yeah I didn't, we I mean, did. We're still getting them, you know, and some I'm like, oh, that would have been a good one to run. But, (laughs) (laughs) Um, you know, just I wasn't expecting that. That wasn't planned at all. But as they started to, you know, as the news got out and these letters, either handwritten or email or whatever, started to come in, it was just so impactful to me to see, you know, the breadth of Powder's impact. And it's like, well, of course I'm bummed. And of course we're upset and disappointed because this is our livelihood. But it's also something that, you know, we pour 60 plus hours a week into. And But then to be reminded that like this is these are the people we do it for. And these are people that have been reading it for generations. And it was as much like a celebration, you know, kind of like a celebration of life um, <laughs> as it was kind of just like, a stick it to the man like hey this thing matters and it's going to its impact is going to extend beyond your decision to you know stop the production of this magazine but yeah as they started to come in you know I had some help with one of our contributors um, Patty O'Connell and then our assistant editor 
Jake Stern, they were kind of tasked with going through all of the submissions, you know, and editing them down. And because some were, you know, six pages <laughs> or nice. something, but, you know, kind of trying to find the, the highlights of that represented across the board, all the different things that this magazine means to people all the way back to, you know, people who have every issue, you know, <laughs> to yeah. people who just started skiing this year or our kids or, you know, or just came back to it as adults and, and just started reading the magazine. So, um, yeah, they did. A, I think they did a great job. And then Dave and Robbie were able to kind of go through and pull some of the significant covers over the years and, and run those alongside. So I just wanted there to be something that paid tribute to the impact beyond just like our little staff bubble. So you had two weeks to rework the whole thing, like you said, and uh, this was the photo annual. So I would imagine a lot of that was already chosen, but can you mm-hmm. talk about the process of reworking the magazine and, and how that may have influenced any of the photo choices or any of the editorial content that you included? Yeah. Um, we cut some stuff. <laughs> um, you know, all of a sudden, again, we're back to that question of like, well, what's essential, you know? And I was like, if this is going to be the like last taste of powder, it's got to be like, you know, the best version we can give people. And that's not to say at all that the things that got cut were not um, hard to, hard to, you know, pass on or, or move on from. Um, some really great stuff that we didn't get to run, unfortunately, that I hope will find new homes in the future. But it was kind of important to us to strike that balance, you know, kind of how we started this conversation about honoring the past, especially but taking a look at where we are now too. So, you know, I didn't want it to be this like old, tired, not tired, but just old thing that felt like, oh man, this was great back then. Skiing was great back in the day. Powder was great back in the day. I wanted to show where we'd come from and also where we had arrived to. And so that was, you know, a part with the letters. And then, you know, the photo annual is just like so coveted by skiers, photographers, athletes you know, especially the readers, it's like, that's the cream of the crop, like best photography of the year. And it is always challenging to, to run as few photos as we do, even when we've had really robust offerings. Um, But in this case, I was like, we need more room. (laughs) We're going to cut out some smaller stuff that normally would have been an awesome addition. But in this case, we had to make room for just more photos. Um, and so the photo annual, that section, the gallery this year is 50 pages. It was amazing. Uh, and typically, you know, we're running 25 to 30, you know, 26 to 32 pages. So to have 50 pages of just like pure ski photography was, was pretty special. And I hope people appreciate, you know, I hope it meant something to, to the readers. So did you sneak any Easter eggs in there? Oh yeah, there's a few. <laughs> you give us any hint? Um, I would say keep an eye on the postal statement. Okay. I know that's kind of jargon, uh-huh. um, but there is something in every magazine that's like an official, you know, tag that has to go in there called the postal statement. It's in every issue, and it looks like a bunch of business lingo, but um, there's maybe some messages hidden in there, but. Uh, <laughs> you know, and then the spine, l- less of a 
hidden Easter egg, but um, that is, you know, a cut from the very first issue, which said, you know, is something along the lines of uh, it only costs a dollar and it and it lasts for or still cheaper than a lift ticket and it lasts forever. And so that was kind of a little tribute we put on there. So it was just all this balance of like, you know, the then and now, which has always been the case, but spelt, felt especially poignant for this issue. So shortly after I received that final issue, which was beautiful, by the way, uh, you and the team did an amazing job. And, and if that was the last we see of powder, it was, it was a great send off. Um, but, but shortly afterwards, I got a postcard from American media informing me that I could expect issues of men's journal until my subscription ran out. So, uh, Steve Casimiro in that same article I referenced earlier called men's journal, a junk show quote, a fire hose of pandering listicle, <laughs> lowest common denominator path and nakedly commercial gear roundups. End quote. Uh, I know you have an opinion on this as well, <laughs> on Twitter, but, but what? Why don't you give it to us? What is your opinion of powder subscribers getting men's journal to fill out their subscription? You said we only have five minutes or (laughs) (laughs) give you as much Um, time as you want. (laughs) Well, first I want to make one caveat here. I do not, I work in the same building as many of the people on staff as men's journal. Um, some of them are my friends. Some of them are former editors of other magazines that don't exist anymore that kind of got rolled up into men's ma- men's journal. So I want to be, you know, clear that I do not think men's journal or the people on staff there are bad or suck or <laughs> are evil or had anything to do with this decision because I know they didn't. Um, and I think... Um, there are probably people who love getting men's journal in the mail every month. Um, That being said, I do not, that is not what people who read powder want instead of powder. You know, (laughs) I could, I could see it if, if, you know, there was another skiing magazine in our, in our group or something. And they said, Hey, you know, this, this might speak to you. We're going to give you this instead. Um, the implication there that I think was most noticeable for me in their choice to give men's journal to powder subscribers is the very wrong assumption that our readership is male. Mm. Um, it is more male than female, um, but it is not all male. And it's, it's been trending you know, away from that for a while um, and gaining momentum and when we were first bought by American media, um, that was one of my questions actually in the, in the meeting where we met the new owners when they came to the office, the only time they came to the office, um, (laughs) I said, you know, they had talked a lot about kind of rolling these enthusiast titles under a men's journal offering. And and my question was, well, don't you feel like that alienates or could be difficult then to market to, you know, women mm-hmm. who participate in all these sports and especially like sure as hell go skiing. <laughs> um, and I remember kind of the response was just like, well, no, why, why would that be an issue? <laughs> it was just like really short sighted to me at the time, but I didn't give too much thought to it. 
um, and had actually forgotten that happened. But then now to see that be their kind of like closing remark on the state of powder, to me, it's just an indication of how far removed they are from our product and our readers and the sport, (laughs) you know, um, it's comically disappointing. Um, it's like, you almost have to laugh at it because it's just so messed up and it's like, kind of feels like it's from an SNL skit, um, or something, you know? (laughs) Um, so you know, you can, um, for those listening, you can get a refund, but <laughs> there's a number to call. Um, I just thought it was such like a kick while you're down, you know, and just um, a huge bummer. Not because there's anything wrong with Men's Journal, but um, it's not what skiers want to read, at least instead of powder. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not a magazine for women, clearly. Yeah. So if if there was a question of whether or not American media understood what powder is, I guess they've answered that question. <laughs> I guess I guess now, Sierra, it's it's what what happens next. I, I've heard rumors that American media is not interested in selling at this time. Do, do you have any insight on that or or anything else? Yeah, you know, uh, a number of people when you know the news came out that we would be pausing operations um, reached out to me asking about purchasing it and legitimate offers, you know, and I think it's funny that they reach out to some of them reach out to me as if it was mine to sell, you know, (laughs) Um, or reach out to me with suggestions of like, why don't you have a GoFundMe or like, you know, I'll pay double for my subscription and like all coming from a place of like caring and, you know, (laughs) wanting to do whatever they can to, keep this or resurrect it. Um, But it also, I think, was indicative of like, you know, most people, and they shouldn't, because they just get the end product, they shouldn't, they don't need to understand the back end of how these magazines are made or uh, how the businesses work. So it's so far removed from my hands. I wish that I had more power, but I absolutely do not. Uh, (laughs) And, you know, from, from everyone that I spoke to who did connect with the right people to make genuine and from my understanding acceptable offers to buy powder or to buy the whole group was turned down kind of with the same uh information that they're not interested in selling um right now so i that's like it's a non-answer i know but that's really all we have and (laughs) you know it would be awesome if they sold it it would be awesome if someone who understood its value and was willing to invest in, you know, new and creative business models to keep this thing alive, like, that'd be great. And whether I'm there to be part of that or not, really doesn't matter. You know, I just think regardless of if there is powder or not powder, there does need to be, you know, like I said, we've made so much progress and we're just getting started though. And there still are so many like, there's always new stories to tell, you know, and they're important. And I hope that, you know, as a, as an industry, as a group of skiers, as a community, we can find ways to continue telling new and diverse and, and important and essential stories about skiing. So if American media decided tomorrow to sell and new owners took control of powder and they came to you and they said, Sierra, 
how do we make this work? What would you tell them? What does powder need to be sustainable for the long term? Oh, gosh, the million dollar question, literally. Um, <laughs> you know, I think something we've laughed between us and our and our readers um, in the past has been transparency. Um, you know, it's like one of those things of you don't know what you've got till it's gone. You know, all the people that are like, oh, I should have subscribed instead of borrowing my buddy's issue. Um, you know, I just think, yeah, you want to put on a good face, but also being realistic that like, this does ultimately, I think, need to move to a subscriber model. And yes, we have a really strong subscriber base, but you know, the reality is the advertisements in the in the print magazine are our bread and butter still. And as the industry changes, as the world changes with COVID, you know, as platforms like social media and, you know, digital properties become at face value more more important to advertisers, we need to try new things. And that does cost money. That takes people. That takes time. You know, if you want to build a new house or you want to renovate a house, like, you know, if you've ever gone and like flipped a house, there's a cheap way to do it, right? Mm -hmm. That you can like polish it up and be like, well, we painted the cabinets, you know, or we like painted the outside, but just ignore the foundation crumbling, you know, (laughs) Um, that only goes so far and it might get you to like the next buyer or something. But um, I think you powder needs someone to come and really invest in it. Someone who understands it. Um, I think it can be a viable business. I do not think it needs to be just this like charitable passion project, you know? Yeah. Um, I don't think that's the solution either. I think especially in, in the times of COVID and people being at home, like I have major digital fatigue. The last thing I want to do at the end of the day of being on my computer all day working or thank goodness and good job to all the people that are like, you know, getting their kindergartners through school on their computers. Yeah. Um, props to them. But, you know, we're exhausted. And it's like, my favorite part of the day is getting the mail right now, because I'm starting to get Christmas cards. And, right. You know, and that kind of stuff where I'm getting magazines, like new ones that I just started subscribing to. And it's like, oh, it feels so good to just like sit down on the couch or whatever, and flip through a magazine or read a book and put my phone away and close my computer. Those things aren't bad but I just can't do it all the time. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And, you know, it, it, there's something about just having that tangible thing in your hands where you can just focus on it. And you don't have other alerts popping up. You know, there's right. not a, a text message popping up across the story in powder. Um, so, so last question for you, Sierra, you know, we're down powder for now. It's a strong brand name. And, and I, I do believe that it will come back somehow, some way. Um, we just saw Mountain Gazette come back after for, this, for the third time. Um, mm-hmm. your hiatus, but for now we're down powder. Um, skiing went under a couple of years ago. We still have ski. We still have free skier. Um, you have some others in, in the U S and Canada. Do you think ski magazines have a future? Absolutely. Yes, I do. Um, I think they're so important as you know, the closing of powder reiterated that to me and solidified that so much more, you know, all of those letters and things that came in. And I think, people are reassessing their values and where they want to spend their time and money and and resources right now. And um, I think it's so important to have a record of our sport 
Um, and just to keep everybody in line and keep people laughing and keep people inspired to go skiing and to protect it and to make it a safe and welcoming space for all different kinds of people to make it accessible. So I think dedicated media to that culture and that space um, is a really important piece of that being successful of skiing, you know, existing as long as possible. Well, Sierra, I, I agree and I appreciate your optimism and I hope you're right. And I hope we see powder come back sooner than later. So I, I thank you very much for your time today. I know we went over. I really appreciate that. No um, problem. I wish you the best of luck with whatever's next, whether it's continuing with powder or or whatever comes your way. So so thank you and, and I hope you get some snow soon there in Utah. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. That's Powder Magazine Editor-in-Chief Sierra Schaefer. I don't think we've seen the last of Powder. I think it will be back, and I think it will find a way to thrive. This shutdown woke a lot of people up who, I think, were frankly taking the magazine for granted. When that will happen and what that will look like, I have no idea. But that magazine is too important to what skiing is to be lost forever. So, thank you very much for that insight, Sierra, and thank you for an awesome last issue that hopefully is not a last issue. That's the last pod this year. Maybe. Probably. But there's a huge catalog you can catch up on and a lot of new ones in September. I'll most likely be back with new episodes in January, and there will be more from the Storm Skiing newsletter in the meantime, so subscribe to that for free at skiing.substack.com. Stay well, stay safe. I'm Stuart Winchester, and I will talk to you again very soon. The Storm Skiing Podcast is a Quicksilver Films production.